What do you do when marriage doesn't go as planned? What do you do? What do you do? Before you got married, what were some of the thoughts that went on in your mind prior to marriage of what marriage was going to be like? So participation time. Was this continual? Come on, guys. Give me some answers. I can call names. John. I mean, what did you think marriage was going to? I mean, be honest now. Don't, don't throw the bull. Bed of roses. Okay. Dan, what'd you think? I had no idea. <laughs> Is that your comment now? <laughs> or was that your comment then? Tara, what did you think? What did you think? What were your expectations in marriage prior to marriage? I didn't have a good example, so. You didn't have. Okay. You didn't have a good example, so you really didn't know what. Somebody else. Bill Suggs, what about you? Be honest. Which comment? Continual sex? You, Bill, continual sex? You got to be honest. Now, see, I can ask Al Van Dam, and he'll give me a completely honest answer. Sean? No, 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 no. It's not what I ask you, Sean. Fairy tale? You were expecting white picket fences and two and a half kids, and yeah, yeah, fairy tale. Okay. You got more than that. The fairy or the tail? Which one? Yeah. John Johnson, what about you? Maybe I should ask Bev. Bev, what about you? No. I mean, what were the expectations prior to marriage? And have the expectations been met? Have you exceeded those expectations in the planning? Um, I mean, just think about that. Think about what you... How many of you didn't have a clue going into marriage? And you wish somebody... <laughs> you wished that, some, wished that somebody would have talked to you prior to, to really have been honest with you of all these things that would transpire over a lifetime. That's really good. The funny thing was the laughter part. Uh, anyway, I figured we would get that. We've been talking about marriage, and we've been going back to the Old Testament, looking at some of, some of the, the uh, relationships, the marriage relationships in the Old Testament. Uh, and we've, we specifically focus, and this is what we've asked ourselves during this time. Lord, as we walk through these relationships, would you give us some nuggets of truth? Would you give us some information that we can glean from these relationships that would help empower us to have stronger marriages? That's what we've asked. Because if I know you like I know me, every one of us in this room needs assistance. Every one of us in this room needs help, Right? And so, Lord, as we walk through with the Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and would you teach us? And we started out with, with Jacob and Rachel and Leah and that relationship that took place. And we came out of that saying this, Lord, our source of value, our source of worth can come from no other place. It can't come from our spouse. It can't come from our jobs. It can't come from any other place, our friendships, our relationships, how much we have in our back wallet. Our source of value must come from you and you alone. 
And then last week we looked at the relationship between King Ahab and Jezebel and we, we outlined what we think is probably one, if not the worst marriage in the scriptures. And probably you left here last week, men. Some of you left here thinking about the negative, nagging, nasty woman. Anybody get that comment last week? But that wasn't what we talked about. We just barely touched on that. If you remember, we came back and we talked about the roles that we have as men to be provider and protector, but also prophet and pastor within the home. And then I went back to a passage of Scripture in Jeremiah and looked at what Jeremiah had said about the nation of Israel and those that were in leadership and that the shepherds had lost their way and as a result, the sheep had been scattered. And how that is a, that, how that is a, as a thought for us today as families, that is fathers, that we have a responsibility to shepherd our families families, and that when we're, our lives are in, in communion with God and when we're walking with the Lord, it's a whole lot less, um, whole lot less um, I guess, opportunity for those that are sheep to be scattered up underneath. But those of us that are fathers are not being the pastors and the shepherds of our families. And that's the reality. That's why we are where we are today and why we're experiencing, because the home is not the place that God created it to be today. We're running from one place to another. Well, this week we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to go back to the book of beginnings, and we're going to look at a relationship between Abram and Sarah there in, in chapter 12. Um, and if you go ahead and turn there, Abraham uh, would eventually be his name. God would change his name and also Sarah's name to Sarah, Abraham and Sarah. Um, but as I look back 23 years ago, right now, 23 years ago, I was, Meredith and I were in the process of, we had, probably about four months to go, five months to go before we'd be married. And I was, I was head deep, neck deep in the planning of a ceremony, uh, a wedding ceremony. Um, and I don't remember honestly, truthfully thinking awful, an awful lot about marriage, Crystal. I mean, I was tied up with Meredith and Meredith was doing most of the work, if not more than, more than most of the work in getting ready for a ceremony, but I didn't think that much about marriage. I didn't sit down and have those conversations about marriage and what it might look like. The only thing I had in my mind was that there was a ceremony and that I had to be there, and I was most concerned about that night. Are you with me? That's another one of those nervous laughter comments. Are you with me? That's what you're focused on, is you're focused on the ceremony and you're focused on that first night but I didn't think far beyond that at all. Not far at all. I mean, I knew that we would need a job. I knew that we would, that we would have to have a place to live. But baby, other than that, what do you need beside love? Right? I mean, we'd be all right, make a little money, have a place to stay, clothes on our back, food to eat, and everything would be fine. Let me tell you a little bit about what we started off with. This would be ridiculous in this day and time. We started out in a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment with about 500 square foot. Today, our bathrooms are bigger than that, right? That was what we lived in. And I remember the only thing that we had to our name was a bed, a microwave, a table that I had been able to purchase for $75 from a flea market, from a, a yard sale. And then our furniture, guys, was milk crates. And we were just as happy as we could be because we were in love. I mean, what in the world, what else do you need? But in the first six months, you begin to learn an awful, I thought we were headed for divorce the first, I mean, the first week. 
<laughs> I mean, uh, I had planned for this for this uh, uh, this this honeymoon, and the first night because we had to travel and move Meredith all the way from up north in New Hampshire. And the first night we finally got, Meredith said this comment, because our, our time schedule was so, so slim. We had arrived in, in Lake Mary, and then the next day we were going to have to leave. And Meredith said to me that night, she said, you know, I think I just want to stay home and get the house together. And I thought to myself, what in the world is she saying? We're fixing to head to Jamaica for a honeymoon, and she wants to stay here? What in the world is she thinking? I mean, I just, I, and I thought, oh, my word. And it turned out to some big, huge fight. And I thought, what in the world have I already done? It's a mess. It's a mess. Nobody told me that. But within the first six months of marriage, I listed some things. Because uh, I went to the, I, I was getting my hair cut or something, and they had these, uh, these women magazines, you know, Cosmo and all that kind of stuff. So I picked up one just trying to kill time. And, and there was a story on, on women in depression and the storyline was how to tell if your spouse is, is depressed. And, and I started looking and I thought to myself, that's Meredith. My <laughs> word. But I started reading all the lines and listen, listen, these are some of the things that we went through in the first six months of marriage. We had moved, change of jobs for her, the starting of a job, the fact that she had lost her grandmother, we experienced a miscarriage, my word. And on their chart of, of accounts as far as depression, she was off their chart. They said, a person can only handle so much. Well, good gracious, a life she was handling so much. I don't know how in the world she was dealing with everything. But here she was at this stage. And we would live there in that area for about eight years before we would move uh, to Fruitland Park where we'd build a house in 1996. Um, and so the first few years of our marriage, the first 12 years, as a matter of fact, we're dealing with the issue of infertility. And Eric and Jen, I know that you know nothing about that. The struggles and the stresses that are involved in that. And then all of a sudden, here comes Abby, and then here comes Caleb, and then our surprise of Anna Grace. But as I sat down and as I reflected on the past 22 years of marriage, it is nothing like what I expected because I really didn't have any expectations. I really didn't know what it was supposed to be. I knew what the way that I was raised. Meredith knew the way that she was raised. But we never sat down and had those conversations about what it would look like, what it would be like. I sat down and I told Brian, I said, listen to some of the things that we've done. Tom, this is like your bucket list. I mean, we've flown over uh, the Grand Canyon in a helicopter in a private ride that was a joke in itself to tell you how it happened. We've traveled through some of the parks out west and up, in, up, in, uh, up into the Canadian Rockies. We skied in Utah, Colorado, North Carolina, New Hampshire, and New York. We've gone dog sledding and snowmobile building. We've snorkeled in Mexico, honeymooned in Jamaica. We've served in missions in several different places. We've sam, slam, uh, swam with the stingrays in Grand Caymans. We've been to Haiti and St. Martin's and St. Thomas in the Bahamas. I have specifically walked where Mount St. Helens erupted been able to sing on the Capitol of, 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 in Washington and Six Flags and been to participate in all kinds of things. And up front, prior to marriage, I never knew any of that. Those were not expectations. I wasn't prepared for it. Um, but here I am, 46 years old, and Meredith just had a birthday last week, and you'll have to ask her how old she is, okay? But here I am at 46, and if there was anything, I thought that at age 46, my kids would be on the way out of the house. Baby, they're just now starting. <laughs> I figured it up the other day, and Anna will be 58. 58 when she graduates high school. 
58? I'll be 58 when she graduates high school. <laughs> then I say, she'll be? That is real bad shape. I'll be 58. I'm already starting that process. I'll be 58 when she graduates high school. And I thought to myself, good, I was with her not long ago. Somebody looked at me and said, oh, she's so cute. How old's your granddaughter? <laughs> it was not a good day. I was getting my hair cut this past week, and I looked, and I said, that looks like poodle hair. She said, no, sir, it's just what's coming off the top of your head. It was all white. <laughs> but what do you do when things don't go as planned? What do you do um, when those things that you expect uh, when things haven't gone like you thought. Um, and if you're, you're there with me and it hasn't gone as planned or it didn't happen the way you expected, you're probably going to like the story. So I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12 with me and let's read some today and let's see what God's Word has to say and what it speaks to us. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1. The Lord has said this to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your, your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. And God makes this promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. And so here is God speaking to Abram, and he says this, I want you to leave the comfortable behind. Now, if you're like me, you probably don't enjoy that very much. You like comfortable. You like security. Um, and any time we get outside of that rut, it, it becomes very stressful. But it's in the unknown when we're standing in faith that God does his greatest work. Remember what faith is, forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says this about Abram. Abram was characterized as a man of faith, that he was willing to step out in faith, not knowing what was next. It says, it was by his faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. And he went without knowing where he was going. By faith, he followed God, he didn't have a pastor telling him what he needed to do. He didn't have a pastor telling him what was next. By faith, he stepped out. By faith, he just followed the voice of the Lord. You can imagine the conversations that, that uh, he and his wife Sarah might have. Honey, who was that you were talking out up under the tree to? I didn't see anybody out there. Who, who were you talking to while I was talking to the Lord? Oh, you're talking to him again, huh? Yeah, well, what did he say to you this time? Well, honey, he said that we need to pick up and leave. Pick up and leave. Where do you think we're going to go? I don't really know. But he said that we're to leave. Can you imagine those conversations? Dan, can you imagine tearing, telling Tara today, Tara, I just want you to know God's called us to, to pick up and to move, and I don't know where we're going, but he's just said to pick up and move and that he'll show us where we're going to go. She'd tell you you're out of your mind, wouldn't she? That's exactly what she would say. And here is that conversation. Sarah could have said, I ain't going nowhere. But that, isn't, that wasn't how she, she had responded. Some of you guys are headed to Poland, and you've already taken the calendar or the, uh, the map out, and you've already mapped where you are, and you've already mapped where Poland is. Hannah, have you already done that, haven't you? And you're trying to figure how am I going to get from point A to point B. He didn't know what point B was. He just knew he was here and that God called him to leave and that he was to step out in faith and that God would be with him. He didn't give all the details. 
Because if he gave us all the details, there'd be no faith involved. And this is what it says in the scripture, without faith it is impossible to to please the Lord. So Abraham gets this promise that he's going to be a great nation. In other words, you're going to have lots and lots and lots of kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, more than you can ever, ever imagine. But for it to happen, you're going to have to go. You're going to have to leave. You're going to have to walk away, and you're just going to need to trust me. And here's Abraham, this man of faith. And if we look closely, we will, ha- we, will, we will happen to notice that his life wasn't always a man that was faithful. He wasn't always a man of faith. He made mistakes just like you and I did, and so did Sarah. But even when they blew it, God was faithful to them. That's the way it was. And the question is us for us today. Man, listen, when life don't go as planned... When expectations aren't met, when things that you thought would happen don't happen, how do you respond? How do you respond? I mean, your marriage right now may not be where you thought it was going to be, but how do you respond? I want to look at three things today that happens in life, not only in life, but in marriage, that, when, uh, that we can find in Abraham's life when things don't go as planned. Here's Abraham. He picks up his stuff. He loads up his camels and the livestock, his wealth, and and his nephew Lot and others that they had taken in. And and they get ready to, to leave. And look at what happens here, verse 10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt. This is in verse 10, where he lived as a foreigner. And he was approaching the border of Egypt. Abram said to his wife, Sarah, look, you're very beautiful. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, that's his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them that you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Listen, you know, when things don't go as planned, it's really easy to respond in fear, isn't it? When things don't go the way that we think they should go, it's really easy for us to respond and fall victim to fear. I don't know, I don't have a clue what he expected when they left home. But here they are entering the enemy territory, which doesn't ever seem to be a good idea, by the way. But up front, God has told them that he's going to bless them. But if they believe that, why in the world would he be so afraid of the Egyptians? Why in the world wasn't he just bold? Why wasn't he courageous? But instead, what did he do? He told a lie. He said, listen, you're a beautiful woman. I don't want to die. He said, instead of telling them that you're my wife, would you just tell them that you're my sister? And that doesn't characterize any of our lives. You've never lied, have you? You've never walked away in fear when things didn't go as planned. You never respond. You've never, ever responded out of fear, have you, Vicky? You've never done that. Steve, you've never done that. But we look at, we look at Abraham and we go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that he would do such a thing. But the tendency for us is when things seem to be out of control, we tend to want to take control instead of acting out, forsaking all, I trust him. Or some of you right now are struggling because you may sense that God's calling you to step out and to leave one of these group life groups. But you're afraid. You're afraid. You know the Lord has called you to lead one of these groups, but you're afraid. Well, God, what if nobody shows up? What what if I mess up? What if, what if, what if? And it's a whole lot easier to talk ourselves out of being obedient than it is to walk 
It's so easy for us to fall victim to fear when things don't go our way. I remember when, after we had been married, I had, um, there's a, there a story that happened before Meredith and I, six months prior, uh, the church that I was serving, a small church had to make a decision on whether or not um, that we would, they would hire us or hire me to be a full-time pastor. I had worked there while I was in school. And during that time, um, I mean, I was just part-time. I was making a couple of hundred dollars a week. Well, you couldn't survive, and I knew that we were planning to get married. I knew that I either had to get another job, I had to do something. You know, what was I going to do? And it was during that time that the church stepped out in faith. Um, somebody from outside the church had provided the finances for me to be able to come in and to be able to serve. We administered. They weren't even a part of the church, but we administered their family and to their daughter and they came in, and, they, and how they knew, I'll never know, but God provided the finances for us to be able to come and to serve full-time for a six-month period. Um, and so, so when Meredith and I first got married, we were serving together at this small church there in Lake Mary. Um, and this, you have to remember, all this stuff is going on in our lives, okay? You remember the you know, loss of Meredith's grandmother? All that stuff is going on. And in the middle of that, probably about three months in, and it... I mean, this is huge. Meredith had a job, and I remember Meredith coming to me one night, and she says, um, I think I need to quit. You have to remember, guys, I mean, we're just in love. We got milk crates as, you know, we've got a microwave. You know, that's all we've got. 500 square foot. What do you mean, baby? You can't quit. We got to have the finances. We've got to have that to be able to pay our bills. And I remember when we sat down and talked, she said some things aren't going right and, and there's some things that I think that are being done illegal and they're not necessarily not really un, not legal. They're just not ethical. They're not, they're not moral. There's something, something's not right. And that was tough. And I remember we sort of, we sort of sat down on that for a few days and, and I said, you know, you got to quit. I don't know what we're going to do, but you just got to quit. If that's the direction, this, you just got to quit. It's not right. Now listen, my heart wanted to jump out because I knew to do that, it was going to cost us big time. But I said, Lord, if, if, if this isn't, you're going to take care of us. If this isn't right, you're going to take care of us. You're going to provide for us. You're going to meet our needs. You have to understand, guys, I'm 24 years old. I didn't have all this God stuff figured out. I didn't understand it all. I knew it, but I hadn't walked it. And I remember Meredith telling the stories, oh, well, let me tell you the stories of when mom and dad and when they stepped out in faith and that God will provide. And she had all these stories about pouring gasoline down the guy's coat, you know, standing out when y'all had lost you, you didn't have any gas. And you remember that story, the food that showed up at the door when you guys were at ministry school. And she shared all these stories. Well, I didn't have any of those stories in my life, but this was one of those stories. She resigned. I didn't have a clue what we were going to do. And the church I was working at, I remember going into the office and, and somebody that had been cleaning the office there for like 15 years comes in and says, listen, we can't do it anymore. I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it on my days. I'll clean toilets. A few days after that, somebody else came in that had been cleaning the yards. And I said, I'll do it. I'll take that job. And so all of a sudden, God put together some finances for us that you have to understand that had been in, I guess, in the work all the time, and God was just saying, would you just trust me? Would you trust me? And it wasn't long after that that Meredith got a job with a Christian organization that she stayed with for several years up until that time. 
So we were faced with that major decision in marriage, and the question was, how would we respond? How would we respond? Um, when things don't go as planned, it was not our plan that she would have to quit that job. It wasn't what was expected. We thought it would be there. But when things don't go as planned, it's so easy to fall victim to fear or to begin to manipulate the surroundings. And isn't that what Abraham did? to make him comfortable. He manipulated. He panicked. God had already given him the promise. God had already said that he was going to be a father and make his descendants many, but Abraham seemed, um, but Abraham, uh, but it seemed that he had forgotten what God had promised him. So what do you do when things don't go as planned? Let's go ahead and read uh, Genesis chapter 16. Switch over to there just a little bit. 16, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, was not able to bear children for him. We've skipped ahead a lot. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. The second thing is when marriage doesn't go as planned, when life doesn't go as planned, it's really easy for us to get out ahead of God. It's, to get out, it's easy to get out ahead and say, well, God, since you don't seem to be working uh, in my time frame, God, I'm going to get ahead of you a little bit, and I'm going to take things into my own hand. So Sarai comes up with this plan, and she says, okay. She said, since I can't have children, I'm going to give my, my maidservant, I'm going to give Hagar to you. And Abraham says, well, that's pretty good. I mean, I can deal with that. That's okay. We can, we can work with that. And so she tells her husband, go sleep with Hagar since I can't have a child and maybe you can have an offspring through her. Now, listen to this. In stating, instead of waiting on God, instead of waiting on God, the implication was, God, since things aren't going as planned, this is what I'm going to do. And if you read the story, this is what took place. Abraham slept, slept with Hagar. She had given her him Hagar and what began with here is my maidservant go and sleep with her ended up being why in the world did you do that for that's the truth she gave him Hagar and then the the thought process afterwards was what in the world did you do because when life isn't going as planned it's so easy for us to come up with our own plan and to get ahead of God now see this is so applicable for where you are it's so applicable to where I am. And it might be a job, it might be a purchase, it might be a potential marriage partner. And up front we say, God, I will trust you. Up front we say, God, it's in your hands. But when things don't work out the way we want them to work out, how many times do we take that back? Bart, you've never done it, have you? You've never taken it back. When things don't work out in our time frame the way we want, we just have the tendency to step in and to take over what we at one time had entrusted to God. So when things don't go as planned, a lot of times we just say, okay, God, I'll just create my own plan. Here's a young married couple. They desire financial and material blessings, but instead of waiting and being wise, they step out and they think they should have everything that their parents have at this stage in life. Anybody have a story to tell about that? <laughs> Instead of saying, okay, God, we trust you, and we're going to leave it in your hands, we get way, 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 way over our heads in debt because we're trying to accumulate more and more and more. 
You may not like your job, but in saying, okay, God, what is it you're going to do? You just quit. You quit. Six months later, you're still looking for a job. Instead of, God, what is it you're trying to show me? What is it you're trying to do in my life? Okay, God, I'm just going to get ahead of you, and I'm going to jump in right now. I'm going to cut it off, and I'm going to take control of it. And we end up in a mess. Because we set up front, God, I trust you, but then we all, all of a sudden we take it back. Write this down someplace. Write it down. Simple, you've heard it before. God is never late. It may not be your time frame. It may not be my time frame, but God is never late. Never late. He is the God of perfect timing. And when things aren't going as planned, it's so easy to panic and to respond like Sarah. But that is not how we should, should, should respond. So when marriage isn't going as planned, when life isn't going as planned, it's easy to respond out of fear. It's also easy um, to get ahead of God. But the third thing is this. Sometimes we think it's easy just to quit and give up. On marriage, on life, as well as God. Have you ever sat with somebody and they, they've been sharing with you a story about God's intervention in their life where something special has taken place and, and a miracle has happened and you're looking and you're going, but that'll never happen in my life. I mean, I hear what you're saying and I appreciate the fact that you've got a story to tell where God intervened and I appreciate what you're telling me, but that could never, ever happen. I just don't think God can do that in my life. If anybody would be honest and say, I felt that way before, come on now. You may not remember it, but I promise you there have been times in your life. I can see where it's happened over here, but that could never, ever happen in my life. Think about this. After the promise from God, don't you think that just maybe they begin putting a nursery together? Think about Abram, Sarah. God said, we're going to be the father of many nations. We're going to have bunches of descendants. And so... They, they come up and they decorate the nursery and, and they start getting up, finding out names, what they're going to name, name a, a child. And then five years later and 10 years later and 15 years later and 20 years later and still no child. And it's interesting what Abraham and Sarah both did in Genesis chapter 17, verse 17. Because... When God comes to them again some 30 years later and he says now very specifically, I'm going to give you a son. The Bible says that Abraham fell, fell face down and he laughed and he said to himself, how in the world can I become a father at this age? At the age of 100. And then he said, better yet, how can my wife still have a baby? She's 90 years old. And he's like saying, God, don't you understand procreation? Don't you understand how this baby thing works out? It's not going to happen. I hear what you're saying, God, and I appreciate that. But the fact is, we are old, O-L-D. <laughs> Sarah responded the exact same way um, when she overheard God talking. Verse 12, Genesis chapter 18 says this, So she laughed silently to herself. How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? 
when my master, my husband, is so old. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Verse 14, and you need to underline that in your Bible, is there anything, anything too hard for the Lord? This has to be a defining moment in their relationship with the Lord because what they say is, um, what, what they say they believe about God now was being put to the test. What they say that they believe was now being put to the test. And the Lord says, is there anything that's too hard for me? Listen, you may be old, but don't you think I can handle that? Hmm, I can handle that. Meredith and I were at that point dealing with infertility. And, and I remember when, when she, after remember she, uh, we lost, had a miscarriage up front in marriage. And then 12 years later, she got pregnant again. And then they couldn't find the baby's heartbeat. And I remember being at that place and raising my fist to God in my office as I was sitting there and we, we were trying to figure out and work, out, work it all through. And, and, uh, and I remember crying out, and, and Lord, don't you hear me? Don't you hear what I'm, what I'm saying to you? Can't you hear us crying out? Lord, don't you know that we're here? Don't you know that we're here in the midst of all this stuff? Can't you see us? I mean, here we were, we had, we had, we had worked for children for 12 years, in and out of the doctor's office, terrible time. Terrible time, but God taught us an awful lot through that. And here all of a sudden, Meredith's pregnant, and now we can't find Abby's heartbeat. And I just remember raising my fist, and everything that I had believed was being put to the test. I had heard it. I had said it. And everything that I had believed all of a sudden was being put to the test. And I remember there was a defining moment that took place that day in my office as I sat there and as I cried out. And finally there was a peace that came over me. And there was a defining moment when I said, God, even in this, I'm going to trust you. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. But God, even in this, I choose to trust you. And like I said, there was a peace that came that day. God, you're God and I'm not. I know that you're merciful. I know that you're righteous. I know that you're holy. And God, today I choose to stand on you and what you say, regardless of what takes place here on out. And that was a defining moment for me. And I believe that that day when Abraham and Sarah's life, there was also something that began to shift in relationship to their faith. And all of a sudden, okay, God, I will take you for who you are and who you say you are. I will trust you. See, you aren't the only ones who's ever struggled, guys. Every one of us in this room are going through difficult times, and if you haven't, you will. And everything that you say you believe will be put to the test, regardless if it's relationship issues or marriage issues or financial issues or job issues. Whatever it is, your faith, the faith that you say that you hold on to, will be put to the test. And it's those struggles that produce the perseverance of the faith within inside of you. And so you're going to have to come to that moment when you come face to face with God and say, is there anything that's impossible for him? And you're going to have to stand there and you're going to have to stand strong and you're going to have to stand faithful and you're going to have to say, God, even in this, I choose to trust 
you. See, I know couples who are struggling with infertility, addictions, pornography, alcohol, you name it. And my question is, is there anything that is too hard for the Lord? For the man that's dealing with alcohol abuse or the couple that's struggling financially and thinking there's no way out, is there anything too hard for the Lord. For the man or woman that says, you just don't know how bad my marriage is. You don't know the jerk that I'm married to. Or the parents that have the wayward child. For the person that desires to get married, but seeing time seems to be ticking away, ticking away, ticking away with no possibilities. What are you going to do? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? For the person that's here that says, there's just no use. My marriage is shot. It'll never be renewed. It isn't about saving your marriage, guys. It's about living in obedience to the Lord. It's about living in submission to Him. That sucker may never change. And that nagging, nasty, negative woman may never change. But it's not about changing her. It's about changing who you are and saying, I choose to trust you. Is there anything too difficult or too hard for the Lord? No, there's not. And isn't that why our Heavenly Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to give us hope and a place and a time and it seemed hopeless? It's exactly why. In the midst of the storm that may be raging in your life, you can find peace. But peace isn't found in the lack of storms, but knowing where to, sh to seek shelter. The psalmist said this, those who live in the shelter, Psalms 91, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I will trust Him. When life isn't going as planned, God might just be using that time and that situation in your life to draw you to Him. And in those times, it's not a time to run from Him. It's a time to run to him. That's what it is. You remember us asking the question in one of the life questions that we, in one of the series we did, there were several questions, there were four questions that we looked at. One is, are you being completely honest? Another question was, what story do you want to one day look back and tell? The other one is, is there a stress that needs to be addressed? And then, which out of the options that I have uh, that's before me, which of those brings most glory to the Father? Um. Is there, what kind of story do I want to one day look back and tell? Listen to what Paul said about Abraham and Sarah in Romans chapter 4 as we get ready to close down. Even when there was no hope, no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Listen, Abraham was maturing in his faith. He did not start as a man full. He might have been there with his relationship with the Lord, but God was walking with him along the journey. And as those things took place and as he made decisions, God never left him just like he'll never leave you. And as we walk along this journey in life, our faith is being perfected and our perseverance is being perfected and it's being created and it's being enlarged. And I'll promise you this, if you walk with the Lord, one day you'll look back and you'll go, I'm not the same person that I was. And that's right, because you're growing, you're maturing. And that's why it's important for us as a church, for us to grow spiritually, not to stay the way that you are and stay as a babe in Christ, but to grow in your faith. And he goes on to say, for God had said to him, that that's how many descendants you will have. Verse 19, and Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and stronger. 
and in that he brought glory to the Lord. Man, as you make decisions in Christ, do you believe that other people are watching you? They see you. As you come upon those times when they don't work out as planned, other people are watching you. Verse 21, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. The facts were Abraham and Sarah were old, but the truth was that God had given them a promise that he would be the father of many nations. Regardless of the facts, truth will prevail. God allowed Abraham to walk through this time because he was strengthening his faith, and he will do the same for us. Don't hold on to the facts, guys. Hold on to the truth of what God's Word says. And in Psalms 46, it says this, God is my refuge and my strength, always ready to help me in times of trouble. So we will not fear when the earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea or when life don't go as planned because I will seek him as my place of refuge. That's it. That's it. When things don't go as planned, I'm not going to run in fear. When things don't go as planned, I'm not going to get out ahead of God. When things don't go as planned, I'm not going to quit I'm not going to give up. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to move ahead by faith. And I want to be known. Why? Because I want to be known as a man of faith. And I want to be known as a woman of faith. I would dare say that some of you guys are in some very uncomfortable positions within your marriage right now. And I don't know what those issues are. But you don't have to be afraid. And you don't have to do something just for the sake of doing something. And you don't have to get frustrated and throw in the towel. You just need to stop, pause, and roll. No, I'm just... <laughs> you just need to stop, pause, and ask yourself the question, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? 